You guys, today we're gonna to talk all about the Enneagram Type 7, and I am so excited. I, I completely adore sevens. I think that they're incredible, incredible people. And, and honestly, I would like to be a Type 7 when I grow up. That is 100% not how the Enneagram works, but still, sevens truly are amazing for countless reasons. And, and today we get to talk all about them and uh, all about the song that I wrote for them. So welcome to the Sleeping At Last podcast. My name is Ryan, and I make music under the name Sleeping At Last, as you may know. Uh, and in this little podcast, I have the complete privilege of getting to talk to you about how my songs come together, the inspiration behind the words, uh, the intentionality behind the instrumentation, the Easter eggs that I like to hide inside each song, and, uh, and just about every aspect of the birth process of my music. So uh, you may or may not know, but currently I'm writing nine songs for the nine unique and beautiful interconnected Enneagram types of personality. Uh, if you haven't listened to my songs one through six, uh, please uh, be sure to check out their corresponding episodes if you're curious to learn more about each of those types and to hear those songs uh, and um, just uh, how each of those songs came to life. Uh, but today is all about my brand new song, Seven. And per podcast tradition, my, my dear friend Chris Hewerts will graciously articulate who exactly these wonderful Enneagram Type 7s are, what makes them tick, and, and so much more. And uh, we'll listen to this song together and, and dive in and talk about why the heck I wrote what I wrote and recorded what I recorded. So let's go ahead and welcome Chris Hewerts onto this episode. And uh, uh, Chris, as you may or may not know, is this podcast Enneagram Wizard and uh, is the author of my absolute favorite Enneagram book, The Sacred Enneagram. Uh, if you don't already have it, please go ahead and get it. I, I really, truly believe that your life and your, your soul will be rewarded greatly. Uh, so Chris, thank you so, so, so much, as always, for being a part of these Enneagram episodes and, uh, and, and just for giving us so much understanding of each type. It, it's truly invaluable. Ryan, so in true seven form, uh, I'm trying to avoid my own sadness that, that we're getting close to, to wrapping these up. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe we've uh, gotten this far, and and I and I've just been really, really thrilled with the great work you're doing, the songs that you keep producing, creating, and then really all the all the feedback um, from the folks that have been chasing this podcast down. I, I uh, since my book, The Sacred Enneagram, came out, um, I've recorded I think nearly fifty podcasts. I didn't realize people actually listen to these, and. Uh, of all the podcasts I've recorded, it is seriously the Sleeping Out Last fans that just bring such positivity and 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 real genuine, authentic, and and real sincere um, sort of affirmation. So I, I'm I'm real real grateful to be included in this project, and and I'm so thankful, Ryan, you're doing this with such care and attentiveness and uh, real compassion for folks. Wow, man, that is that is incredibly kind. I I'm seriously deeply honored. Thank you. Uh, and as I've said before, um, I, I truly cannot thank you enough for the ways that you have been patient and, and encouraging towards my understanding of the Enneagram as I write these songs. And um, as, as I said, your contributions to these episodes are, are huge. So thank you so much. So as I mentioned, today is all about sevens. Uh, sevens are absolutely amazing people. They they truly are. I know I made the joke at the top that um, I would like to be one when I grow up, but I, I totally mean that. I feel like if I could if I could choose to be any type on the Enneagram, uh, I happen to identify as a type nine, but if I could really choose, it would be, it would be a seven. Uh, when I think of the sevens in my life, I 
always imagine that person smiling. They are positive. They are inspiring. They're just beautiful people. And I feel like of any of the Enneagram types, I think that they're the, the probably the, the most easily recognizable. That could be totally wrong, but that's at least in my experience, that is true. Um, so Chris, would you mind giving us uh, an overview of, of who exactly these, uh, these inspiring people are um, for any of us that might be unfamiliar with the Enneagram type seven or just need a brushing up? Who are these amazing bright lights in the world? Sure. So, so I, I think actually, you know, I sort of joked around with Ryan about this before, but I actually think that as little kids, we were prepared to learn about the Enneagram because I'm not sure if you remember this classic, uh, why is six afraid of seven? (laughs) The punchline goes because seven, eight, nine, and it's such, there's so much richness in there, right? It it speaks to the fear of, of type six. It speaks to the, to the gluttony of seven or Eight, eating nine and, and really <laughs> internalizing all that energy. So this is going to be, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I, I, I think we already know so much about sevens because like Ryan said, sevens put themselves out there in the world. Sevens sort of show us how to live. Sevens actually sort of in, invite us into inner freedom and then expressing that externally through sort of living freely. And so, um, you know, this will be, I think this will be really fun. I, I also just sort of want to say this though at the beginning, like even though sevens bring the fun, right? And, and, and sevens sort of take us all on vacation from our own pain and our own problems, which is really sort of the, the projection of what they're, they're constantly doing behind the surface for themselves. Um, this hopefully will also be a, a real honest and, and maybe one of the most personal and, and intimate podcasts we've recorded here because sevens, they, they, I, I know they want, this to be known about them, but there is a, a profound depth there that often isn't seen, uh, often isn't celebrated or understood, and, and is sometimes deflected by their their, their, their real jovialness, their, their positivity, their their, uh, their 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 perpetual youthful curiosity. So I, I think we can hopefully sort of pull the curtain back and, and really do some tender work around the heart of of the seven as we as we dig into this conversation. One more thing before we really dig into this. It is always a huge bummer for the sevens when we do Enneagram workshops or trainings, because traditionally, right, when if you've ever been to a workshop or an Enneagram class, folks start with type eight, because we usually start in the body, and eights, nines, and ones are the body types. Then we move from, from the body into the heart, which is types twos, threes, and fours, and then from the heart into the head, which is five, six, and sevens. And, and so almost Every time I'm, I'm in a room, every time I'm, I'm, I'm introducing the Enneagram to, to a group, poor sevens are just sitting there so bored, waiting, 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 <laughs> waiting for them. And, and because they're usually the last one, like you sort of lose them a little bit along the way. But I'm, I'm glad that we're finally getting here to you all. And if you've stuck with these first six podcasts and these first six songs, thanks a lot. Hopefully you will feel honored and, and seen and, and hopefully some of the ways that you've been misunderstood and, and honestly, painfully, painfully misunderstood, we can, can try to clear up a little bit and, and maybe validate. So if you're familiar with the seven, um, these are, are sometimes called the enthusiasts. Um, and, and this is, you know, classically in the Enneagram literature, um, the type that has this need to avoid their own pain. And, and so, you know, we, we really don't see the seven for who they truly are because what comes across is, is you get this really spontaneous, super fast-thinking, resilient person who, who puts himself out there, right? Who's, who's generally really positive, super upbeat, who, who stays curious, 
Um, you know, sevens can be really generous, super joyful, have lots and lots and lots of energy. But but a lot of these um, sort of ways that they're presenting are, are, are part of that uh, coping tactic to avoid their own pain. Now, I, I've heard that that sevens have um, one of the, the sort of somatic or physical takes or gives of the sevens is, is that the bottom of their feet wrinkle the less because they're forever young. They're, they're always youthful. And, and, and so this sort of speaks to their sort of Peter Pan-esque ability to walk on the air. Um, and, and, and I think one of the things that, that we love about sevens is, is this calculated impulsiveness. It's, it's not a foolishness at all because they're in their head and they are super fast thinking and incredible problem solvers. They, they trust themselves and they put themselves out there. And, and so that impulsiveness actually isn't, um, I, I, I don't think, a, a negative trait or quality of the seven. I actually think it's one of the ways that they show us how, how to trust ourselves and, and, and how, to, how to go with it. Um, we love the sevens because they're magnetic, because they're energetic. And, and, and we're often surprised that the sevens aren't heart types because they're so charming and they're so winsome. And, and that sort of free spiritedness leads to this really profound, I think really beautiful receptivity that allows us to sort of connect with our own hearts when, when we're with them. Now, just like all the, the Enneagram types, when we unpack the sort of story, let's say, around how we've come to terms, to, to, to loving and living and, and being ourselves, um, we, we return to this notion of the childhood wound. And I'll keep saying it over and over and over again, that I don't think that the Enneagram childhood wounds are real wounds. I, I, I simply think that these wounds are the confirmation bias to our, our young, tender egos of what our type was of what our innate gifts were that we were born with, but that we lost contact with, right? And so these childhood wounds are, are really sort of when you've learned not to deal with your, your own pain, when you've learned how to cope or, or, or even defend yourself from pressing into it, these are the stress fractures in our souls. And, and when something presses on it, wow, it reminds us that it's there. It reminds us that it actually hurts, right? And, and so the childhood wound, the so-called childhood wound of the seven, um, really was was a wound. And just like all the other nine types, but I, I think specifically as we're talking about sevens right now, this was a wound to their sense of love and, and being loved. And, and this was aggravated because the sevens really have this, this profound disconnection from their own heart. Now, now the childhood wound um, was sometimes experienced in, in, in a form of deprivation and specifically the deprivation of nurturing love. And, and, and so sometimes the sevens felt like that, that nurturer, that, that caregiver, that, that parent in their early holding environment withheld or, or, or deprived or even removed the nurturing stance too soon. And, and that created an ache, right? That created this, this, this deep pain, which was, I, I needed your heart to feel mine. And, and so why did you take it? Because when you took your heart away, mine went with you. And that pain was too much. Like I said, sevens think so fast are problem solvers and are incredible at it. And so even as little children, they began to problem solve this pain. And so they began to distract themselves. They began to, to fill their lives up with all sorts of, 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 of really imaginative and fun and, 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 and provocative things to do as a way of, of distancing themselves from that emptiness, that, that inner ache. And, and, and this meant then an over-reliance on the positive, an over-reliance on things that led to joy. Because the sevens were in their head, 
this this became a, a, a mental fixation that the, the the planning the anticipation that the, the what was next and, and so as adults um, folks who are dominant in type seven still sort of cope with the pain of of the loss of nurturing the loss of nurturance um, through their their constant uh, sort of forecasting planning uh, uh, the ways that they sort of um, threat forecast the, the diminishment of their freedoms and, and opportunities. So helpful. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, let's go ahead and listen to the, the Type 7 song. I am uh, the usual combination of ecstatic and, and completely terrified to, to show you, especially if you identify as a Type 7. Uh, I, I just so hope that each of these songs, uh, that, that they represent you guys well and that they um, help uh, help someone feel understood and uh, just that they honor you. I, I've said it before for each song, but if you happen to identify as a Type 7, I, I so hope that some part of you, some part of your truth, uh, and, and especially for, for Type 7s, uh, your depth is, is contained in this song. As I learn more about you, I just um, am continually blown away by um, the the beauty that is the the Enneagram Type 7. How nice it'd be if we could try everything. I'm serious, let's make a list and just begin. What about danger? So what? What about risk? Let's climb this mountain before we cross that bridge. Cause I'm restless. I'm And I want to make 
So the, the seed of this song was kind of a fun story. Uh, I've mentioned before that when I'm writing, I'm constantly recording voice memos of, of different chords and musical ideas that I like or just like in the moment. Usually most of them are just total throwaway recordings, um, but I file them away and I, I sort of just forget about them. And then I'll, I'll dig through them every now and again and see if there's anything that resonates with me at that moment or, or just feels right for the theme that I'm writing for. Uh, and ahead of writing any of these Enneagram songs, I actually went in my computer and made a, a folder for each of the nine types. Uh, and, and I combed through my little miscellaneous voice memos for, for anything that, of course, didn't suck. But also, when I found something interesting, I tossed it into one of those Enneagram folders uh, according to whatever type the recording most reminded me of. But, so if it sounded like a one, I tossed it into the one folder. If it sounded like a two, I tossed it in the two folder. Uh, so the seven folder contained a handful of these little miscellaneous ideas. Uh, and as I began to think through what a seven might sound like, I, I sifted through those recordings and, and one in particular stood out. So that was a recording of me quickly kind of jotting down an idea on my ukulele while uh, some friends and uh, amazing string players in the background were sorting out a piece of sheet music that we were about to play at an event together. So we were at, uh, just kind of backstage at a, at, a, at a show. So what is absolutely nuts and, and just I think is super fun about this little recording is uh, actually a handful of things. Uh, number one, it was recorded at an event that I played at Disneyland, the most literal seven place on the earth. <laughs> and uh, the song we were working out in the background was was a Disney song we were about to perform called A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes, one of my favorites. And it was played at an event for my dear friend Bob Goff, who happens to identify as a type seven. And then what's even crazier is the the violinist that you hear talking in the background is my my dear friend Emiko Bankson. And uh, she happens to also be a type seven. And my favorite part of all of this is uh, right at the front of that recording, you may or may not have noticed, um, Emiko is talking through the charts and she clearly says number seven, right at the top of the recording. Number seven. 
Uh, I just thought that was super, super fun and, and weird. And I didn't realize any of this until a day or two into um, chasing this idea down and uh, kind of recording it and developing it. And then all of a sudden, I just started noticing all these different, very strange seven things in this uh, this initial seed of, uh, of the seven song. I feel like it was kind of meant to be. And uh, and this song's shape and the spirit was was led by this recording. Um, the, the second half of those little melodies that I was jotting down, uh, it made it into the song. So this part became this part. And though we will talk about all the fingerprints that were from my Type 7s and uh, and the Type 7 musicians that played on this song, I did want to point out that um, Bob Goff, the friend that I was playing the event for, he uh, he played a little bit of ukulele on this song. And then my, my dear friend Emiko played violins. Uh, all the violins that you hear in this song are her. So I thought that was a fun, circular way of, of bringing this, uh, this recording back. And also uh, the actual recording itself is kind of buried as an Easter egg in this song as well. In the making of the song, I had such a good time. Uh, I felt like I was channeling a little bit of that seven energy as I was kind of brainstorming and, and thinking about ways to approach the song. So I wrote down just a bunch of different production ideas that, that didn't quite make the cut. Um, so I'll, I'll name a few of those. I thought it'd be really fun to record every verse or every section of this song in an entirely different style of music from a different part of the world. And uh, it was kind of like a, a wink to the seven sense of adventure and, and traveling and, and all that sort of thing. And I tried that and uh, I really had fun with it, but it just sounded super messy and kind of confusing. So I kind of let go of that. But actually elements of that concept can be found in the in the final recording. Uh, so it, it wasn't a total loss, but... Um, it wasn't quite the right fit for this song. And then I thought it'd be really fun to uh, make this the fastest tempo song that I've ever recorded. And, and though that sounded like a, a, like an interesting idea, it also wasn't at all right for this. Um, and then I even thought it'd be fun to digitally speed up the song after it was mixed. So after everything was recorded, I thought it'd be kind of interesting to digitally bump up the intensity of this song. And uh, yeah, that didn't that didn't work at all. So um, it was it was a lot of fun to brainstorm what a type seven might sound like, uh, but that led to the concepts that did end up working. So let's, let's talk about those. So I absolutely knew that I wanted this song to contain as many instruments as I could possibly fit into it. And so I recorded every instrument that I own and, and then some. Um, it was kind of a, an anything goes type of production rule. So I made a big checklist of every instrument I own and kind of worked my way through the song as it was uh, uh, being recorded. Then that led me to realizing that I wanted to point more specifically to the, the, the seven's childlike wonder, which is, I think, one of their greatest gifts. And uh, so I recorded every children's instrument that I could get my hands on. So I went upstairs and um, dug through the kids' bins and uh, picked up every uh, kid's instrument that was available to me. So you'll hear ukulele, of course. Uh, and then you'll hear a, a very small nylon guitar, which is, of course, the, the, the big brother to the ukulele. <laughs> you'll hear toy pianos, tambourines, clapping, whistling. Any instrument that you've ever heard in, uh, in kids' music, uh, I wanted to make sure found its way into the song. 
So another kind of silly idea or rule that I put into the song was I had to be smiling every single time that I recorded a vocal. So if I recorded myself singing in any capacity, even the background vocals, I wanted to make sure that I was singing with a smile on my face. And, and I don't know what this says about me, but my face hurt so much after recording those vocals with a smile on my face. Apparently, I am not smiling nearly enough in my life. <laughs> That's a little bit of a takeaway from writing this song is that I need to be smiling more. And because sevens give off this, uh, this really beautiful positive energy, I thought it would be kind of fun as a little Easter egg to include uh, a very, very small sample of my song, Joy. So I wrote that song inspired by the emotion joy, of course, in my, in my series of songs uh, inspired by the basic human emotions. And so it felt right to nod back to that. So you can hear a little bit of uh, Joy's marimbas. Anytime I spend time around uh, a seven, I, I go away wanting to be a better person and I go away um, inspired and, and just uh, just excited about the experiences of life. And I'm being entirely honest, every seven I can think of has that effect on me. And uh, I was thinking about it. And, and so sevens and type nines, uh, I happen to be a type nine, share something in common in the, in the Enneagram language. When we think about the sevens need, it is the need to avoid pain. And for a type nine, it's actually the need is just to avoid, just period. So sevens are kind of like the, <laughs> the evolved, more efficient version of the same need. So where I'm avoiding a lot of things, uh, sevens are avoiding pain. And that seems significantly more energy efficient to me. They're like the, the electric cars or the, <laughs> the Teslas of the Enneagram. And uh, I just, I want that. I'm jealous of that energy. I want it. And uh, I, I want that optimism and that, that kind of lease on life or that um, just beautiful light that they have. Um, so sevens out there, I am a huge fan. Keep up the good work. So before we dive in deeper into the song, the, the meaning behind the words, the, the guests that played on it, the, the fingerprints that um, are hidden throughout, um, let's bring Chris back to shed more light on the intricacies of this just really amazing type. If you look at the drawing of the Enneagram, if you can remember the symbol, right, the this, this circle with these nine points on the circumference, and if you see point seven, and if you, you can remember this about each of the Enneagram types, that, that where they're located on this circle shows us how dynamic, how, how, how in flux and flow these types are. Well, seven reaches up to eight for one of its wings and, and seven reaches over to six for another one of its wings. And like I said, seven is a head type. It's in the head center, just where the six also is. The eight is in the body. Now, when seven reaches uh, across the circle, right? And, and these are sometimes called the stress points or, or the heart points, the paths of disintegration or the paths of integration. Seven reaches to one, which again is in the body, and seven reaches to five, which again is in the head. And, and so what you see here, this is actually one of the, the two anomalies of, of the entire Enneagram. What you see here is that the seven has no natural connection to any one of the heart points, type two, type three, or type four. And it's the only type of all nine that doesn't have a natural connection to its own heart. And so you see this, this actually sort of aggravates that pain that pain of the loss of love, that pain of the loss of nurturing, because the seven needs an externalized heart to help them find their own. And, and this is why I think sevens come across as heart types, or, or this is why I think so many of us are surprised that sevens aren't heart types, because when they find a heart that's available, when they find a heart that is 
is true and, and, and authentic, man, it's, it's, it, it, it's a curiosity to them. They're drawn to it and they, and they stand close to it. Like you're standing at a campfire warming your hands, they sort of use the emotional intelligence of the heart centers or another person's heart as a way of trying to find their way home or back to their own heart. And, and because they, 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 they find this, this unnatural reach to their heart, because it can be clumsy, they, they, they sometimes would rather not do the work themselves. They'd rather have us do the work for them. But you see, this just keeps that wound unhealed. This, this, this continues to um, aggravate this real conflicted relationship that sevens have with love and, and being loved. And so this is one of the first ways in. This is one of the first ways that we start to find a kind of healing, a kind of, of inner transformation, a kind of, of, of fullness being brought forward is when the seven can actually follow their heart to truth, when the seven can actually fall into the beauty of their heart and, and really live there and love there. The classic character structure of type seven, when you, when you dig into the Enneagram materials, the literature, and again, just like we've mentioned in, in, in some of these, these previous podcasts, the, the traditional language is, is the language that the Bolivian teacher Oscar Chazo has given here, sort of gives us the, the, the framework of understanding the, the, the complexities of the seven as a story that's being sort of unfolded and, and and this is one of those types that these stories are really unfolded publicly it, it happens in relationships and communities and it happens sort of out there on on a stage so like I said the seven is a head type and the and the head types type five six and sevens most accessible emotion is a form of anxiety or distress and, and, and this I think surprises us we don't pick up on a lot of distress and we don't pick up on a lot of anxiety from the sevens but the anxiousness here is, is really below the surface. And the anxiety really comes forward when a seven feels like their access to opportunity, their, their, their access to, to freedoms is being diminished in any way. And, and so it's one of the sort of little ways that they trick themselves. It's one of the ways that they really trick us, but it's there, right? And, and so this constant forecasting of, of possibilities and opportunities keeps this static noise of anxiety sort of fueled in, in the back of their minds. Now, the seven's holy idea, right? And, and when we talk about the Enneagram's holy idea, what we're talking about here, and this is what Hamid Ali says, is, is this unobstructed view of reality. The unobstructed view of reality, the, the way of seeing with clarity and precision for the seven is sometimes called holy wisdom or, or holy work or, or holy plan. And that, that notion of, of wisdom is, is really, I think, one of the, the, the ways that we see the sevens come alive, right? This is the reach to the five that they have there in, in, in their heart point there. This is the, 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 the groundedness of a mind at peace, right? This holy work is, is the saying, yes, that when the seven makes their choice, they cooperate with the work of the universe. And, and they're not sort of taken along for the ride. They, they, they actually drive this, but this work is the work of building a, a more peaceful world that really is rooted in freedom. And, and freedom is really one of the gifts that the seven shows us. But this notion of, of holy plan, I think, is is really important for sevens to grasp because the, the, the seven is constantly planning what's next. And if they can actually give into this, this not fatalistic idea that there's a plan and a perfect plan for all their lives or our lives, 
but give into the notion that that love actually has a plan for who we all can become and, and that we don't have to force it, but that we simply receive it, then this unobstructed view of reality gives the seven as, as, as clear of a perception of who they can be in the world that they inhabit. Now, the virtue of the seven is sobriety. And, and, and this isn't simply drink less and, and, and don't sort of have a, a clouded head of, of, of too much whiskey or wine, but, but it's really the sobriety of living with enough, that what you have is enough, that you can be sort of satisfied with, with very little or great excess and so when I think about this and the virtue of the seven, I'm often reminded of uh, Cahil Gerbrand's little little book, that gorgeous, gorgeous little book called The Prophet. And if you read The Prophet, you you know it's sort of this, this poetic wisdom literature of this man who's leaving his community. But before he, he sets sail and says goodbye, the people come forward and they begin to ask him for, for final bits and words of advice. And, and someone asks him about joy and sorrow. And I think his little chapter, I think these little words on joy and sorrow really capture the virtue of type seven more than, than anything, right? And so in the prophet, he, he says, your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And the self-same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. How else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into their being, the more joy you can contain. Because is it not the cup that holds your wine, the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven, and is not the lute that soothes your spirit, the very wood that was hollowed with knives. When you are joyous, look deep into your heart, and you shall find that it is only those things which have given you sorrow that are now giving you joy. And when you are sorrowful, look again into your heart, and you shall see that in truth you are weeping for that which has been your delight." Some of you will say joy is greater than sorrow, and others say nay, nay, sorrow is the greater. But I say unto you, they are inseparable. Together they come, and when one sits alone with you at your board, remember the other is asleep upon your bed. Verily, you're suspended like scales between your joy and sorrow, and it is only when you are empty and at a standstill that you are balanced. So that when the treasure keeper lifts you to weigh his gold and silver, needs must your joy nor your sorrow rise or fall. And I think that's what we're getting at here. Sobriety, living in between the joy and the sorrow, living in between the, 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 the plenty and the want, and, and not being pulled into excess uh, in either direction. Each of the Enneagram types has, has a passion. And uh, as you, you've heard me say this before in some of these podcasts, it's, it's a little bit of a bummer because the language that was ascribed to these passions is language that is traditionally used in religious um, literature as sin. And, and again, we just have to remember that our passion is how our heart aches or our thirsts to reconnect with our being, what was, was disconnected in this so-called childhood wound, right? So for the passion uh, of the seven, it's, it's traditionally referred to as gluttony. And uh, this is, you know, this is surprising. Sevens generally um, aren't heavy people. They, 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 they generally um, don't struggle with, with their weight or overeating. It, it's really the gluttony of overdoing everything that brings them pleasure as a way of avoiding their own pain, right? So I think the sevens hold this, this gluttony in their body as sort of this veracity, this voraciousness, this, 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 this drive to, to taste it all, to, to, to experience it all. And I think sevens suffer this passion of gluttony in their heart 
as sort of an insatiability because it, it, it's never enough. And, and this is, again, one of the ways that we see this, this disconnect from their hearts. The insatiable drive of gluttony for the seven to fill their heart seems impossible. And that's because it seems as if their heart is, is so far away when, when really it's, it's, it's always right there. It's always guiding, always leading. But then I think the sevens hold this, this passion of gluttony in their heads as sort of a preoccupation. And this preoccupation is, is, is really the self-created suffering in the seven. They're, they're, they're preoccupied because they're already thinking about what's next. They're already sort of occupied in the future moment. And, and what that creates is, is the inability to practice present in the moment they sit and in the moment they're experiencing which again is is just another way of, of of suffering that loss. Oh man, so good, Chris. Thank you so much. We'll we'll hear a little bit more from Chris in a bit. Um, but let's talk about the lyrics of this song. The very first lyric that I knew belonged in this song uh, was the simplest, and it, and it ties into the seven's passion that Chris just talked about. I'm hungry for whatever comes next. I, I wanted to point to that passion in the lyric, but in a loving way. That hunger, that craving for whatever is up ahead, that, that's part of the magic and, and what I love about Sevens. It's what nudges them toward adventure, and, and through them, that's part of their nudging of us, uh, the people around them, to, uh, to come along for their adventures. Uh, so it's really part of what makes them so vibrant and inspiring. And so I knew that that kind of simple lyric needed to, uh, needed to be right in the center of the song. So I think I've said it probably in every one of these Enneagram episodes so far, but I will say it again, so so please bear with me. Uh, for each type, I am trying my absolute hardest to, to not only try to understand what makes each of these nine beautiful and unique Enneagram types different, uh, but the most important aspect of writing these songs for me is underlining the good and redemptive qualities of, of each of the nine types. Uh, so these songs are, are really my attempt to tell each Enneagram type story so each song is sort of written um, as a, a three to you know five minute journey, uh, being hopefully very honest about the, the struggle and the, and the shadows of each type, but only as a means to fully illuminate the, the absolute best in us, the good, the true, and the healthy of, of each type. For Seven, I thought it'd be really, really fun to challenge myself and, and make sure that the story of redemption could be understood on, on the most basic level uh, through the primary word of the, the three choruses in the song. And what I mean by that is in chorus one, uh, it, the featured word would be restless. I'm restless. I'm restless for whatever comes next. Uh, which feels a little bit like a wilder version of the Seven to me, uh, a bit unsettled. And then in chorus two, uh, they're hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry for whatever comes next. And that is, of course, again, like I mentioned, a nod to the passion, but it's also being motivated and driven and uh, specific. And then lastly, on the third chorus, uh, they're ready. The character is ready so that the story is about refinement, about choice.
And, and lastly, at the very bottom of the, the final chorus, all three of those words are used together and are put in only a positive light as the as the character. And this song is is finding contentment, is making, making choices that are leading them to be fulfilled and um, just satisfied. So I had a ton of fun with that because I, I finished the story, as it were, in the in the verses. And um, so, when it came time to write those those choruses, um, I, I just thought it was a really fun way to uh, to think about those choruses as a, a distilled version of uh, the the entire story. So if you've heard anything about the Enneagram 7, um, you will likely hear about their desire for what's next, and which obviously in those choruses, you hear me ending each chorus with uh, uh, for whatever comes next. I'm hungry for whatever comes next. I'm restless for whatever comes next, etc. Um, so let's hear, let's hear Chris talk a little bit about that notion. The mental fixation, right? And, and, and every Enneagram type has this fixation of the 7 is, is, is traditionally called planning. And in the old days, you know, before the, the Enneagram types were really tricked out by Claudio Naranjo, um, they used to call type seven ego plan, right? And, and this planning notion is, is, is the quick thinking mind of the seven, realizing that, hey, if I filled every moment as a way of distracting myself from, from my pain, if I filled every moment so that I don't have to be honest with how I hurt, what's suffering, what, what's underneath all of this, then I'm going to think about what's going to happen next, and, and, and this is, like I said, this is really where um, practicing presence is, is painful for a seven because the seven is so imaginative. Like they, they already know what we're going to do after dinner and, and they already know after dinner where we're going to go out and dancing or getting drinks. And then they already know after the clubs and the bar shut down, who's going to host the after hours and the after party. And, and they're already going to know tomorrow when they're going to wake up and what they're going to have for breakfast so that they can sort of savor what was beautiful about the night before. And, and that fixation of planning really is this anticipation, which then creates this, this, this inability to enjoy the moment at hand. Because you see, if, if, if you really have to enjoy the moment at hand, you have to enjoy everything that comes with it, the good and the bad, the, the, the happiness and, and the sorrow that supports it, that scaffolds it, that undergirds it. And, and, and so if you don't want to experience the sadness then you anticipate what's next as another way of keeping yourself distracted. One aspect of writing seven that I found incredibly challenging uh, was that for every other type, the, the shadow or the struggle, uh, it's all slightly more, it, it's all more obvious. We, we all kind of wear our ups and downs a little easier on our sleeves. Uh, but for sevens, it's certainly not that they aren't feeling the ups and downs. It's just that they're making a really clear effort, uh, a, a clear choice to present a positive spin and, and to reframe things, which is pretty amazing, actually. And again, it, it's a total gift in the right context. Uh, but as I'm writing each of these Enneagram songs, and, and as I said, writing these stories of redemption, uh, it was a bit of a challenge in terms of the story arc for the song, because the last thing that I wanted to do is write this, this really joyful song that represents the joy of the seven, and then totally bum them out by, by talking about the shadow and the struggle of their type. And in essence, uh, forcing them to process pain with me. <laughs> that is definitely not what I wanted to do. So I, I actually took a page out of the seven book and uh, I, I reframed things. I reframed the story of redemption in, in the writing of the song from uh, the very first lyric to the, to the end. Uh, and as a 
totally quick side note, I made absolutely certain not to mention the word pain throughout the song. And that is, of course, because of their need. Uh, the need for the seven is to avoid pain uh, from one avoider to another. <laughs> that was my, my subtle Enneagram 9 gift uh, to all of you sevens out there. Uh, so I'm going to let Chris explain a little bit more detail on the basic fear. When we talk about the sort of classic character structure of each of the types, um, I, I try to, to, to bring in the basic fear. And, and, and like I've said, all nine types have a basic fear, and this basic fear is really a driver. It's a, it's a, it's a significant driver behind our, our sense of self, and, and really it's sometimes one of the great motivators for, for everything that we do. And so for the seven, right, the, the basic fear is, is, is a fear of, of, of disposition and deprivation, right? It's the, it's the fear of being trapped in pain. And, and this, this fear of, of, of being trapped is then sort of countered with this drive for freedom. And, and, and so these poor sevens, man, it's like their fear compels them to, to chase after their lucid imaginations. Their, their fear compels them, like I said, to, to be misunderstood as impulsive, but it's a calculated impulsiveness. It's, it's the fast thinking resiliency of their spontaneity that keeps them running. And I, and I sometimes like to say this, it's like when I think of a seven facing their fear of being trapped in pain, facing this fear of, of deprivation, I, I sometimes think of a child that, that's trying to chase down a butterfly as if that child could catch it and as if that child could jump high enough in the air to, to put its hands around it. And, and just a, like a little child who would hope to catch this, this butterfly sort of floating off and, and, and flying away, if the seven could catch it, it would still catch it with such tenderness and gentleness and it would keep it alive as a way of reminding itself that when something is brought to its conclusion, then freedom is diminished. And every time freedom is diminished, part of the seven feels like they're dying, right? So facing this fear is, is really what keeps them on the go. It's what, what keeps them moving. It's, it's really their, their grasp to retain their free spiritedness. That is how they confront and, 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 and face the illusion and, and, the, and the lie of what this fear tries to hold over them. Amazing, Chris. Thank you very, very much. Uh, so, so many of the ideas that Chris just talked about, um, I tried to capture in, in this particular set of lyrics. Let me tell you another secret of the tree. It feels like sinking when I'm standing in one place. So I look to the future and I book another flight. When everything feels heavy, I've learned to travel light. So that's the seven opening up, being vulnerable, and, and in a healthy way, acknowledging what's really hard for them. So the first lyric of the clip was, let me tell you a secret of the trade. Uh, and that's in reference to an aspect of the sevens that I noticed. Though the reframing and the positivity is such a joy for others to be around, uh, I think that sevens have the ability to build up these these pretty incredible walls. I mean, every, every type, every person does this to some degree, of course. Uh, but I noticed that what's really unique about the sevens is that they offer up this uh, the, the feeling or the experience of closeness with them, all the while letting only a chosen few really into who they are and, and the depth and the beauty of who they are. And, and usually when people build up emotional walls, it, it, it feels cold or feels distant. And, and sevens are the exact opposite. Sevens walls are <laughs> absolutely beautiful and brilliant. 
and they're made of uh, incredible adventures and ideas and projects, but they're extremely selective of who gets to actually come inside and experience the, the depth of who they are. And in a little bit, we'll talk more about that depth because it is such a vital part of who the Enneagram Type 7s are. So uh, we'll, we'll bookmark that. And in that verse we listened to a few minutes ago, I sang the lyrics, so I look to the future and I book another flight. That's one of several references in the song to the to the seven superpower of reframing, their their kind of endless ability to see through the lens of the the glass being half full, uh, which is another rule that I kind of set out for myself in the song. In every lyric, I, I wanted to somehow reframe it positively. So if I said something that is even hinting at pain or, or negativity, I wanted to somehow flip it on its ear and uh, look at the positive side of that. So um, I was going to give you each example of that, but you'd literally have to listen to the whole song again. So here are a few more notable lyrics that are uh, very obviously about this, this reframing aspect of the seven. What about danger? What about danger? So what? What about risk? Let's climb this mountain before we cross that bridge. How wonderful to see a smile on your face. It costs farewell tears for a welcome home parade. I'll find the silver lining. I'll find the silver lining no matter what the price. When everything feels heavy, I've learned to travel light. When everything feels heavy, I've learned to travel light. I feel hope. I feel hope. Deep in my bones. Deep in my bones. Tomorrow will be beautiful. Tomorrow will be beautiful. And then finally, in the, in the very last lyric, uh, I'm ready, restless and hungry, but I'm ready for whatever comes next. And because the type seven is in that uh, mind or, or head intelligence center, uh, this is all a very, very conscious decision to, to choose positivity. And I just think that's really beautiful. So the silver lining perspective of the seven, as I alluded to earlier, is how I approach the writing of this whole song and this redemption story. It's about a seven pushing forward and making the most out of their life and realizing that though standing still feels a whole lot like sinking, as I sang in the song, some of the, the absolute most meaningful and remarkable experiences in life can be found exactly where you are on the other side of pain and in deep with the ones that you love. So uh, in a nutshell, this song is, is a reframing of pain, a, a silver lining look at it. So when I was writing it, I asked a couple questions on social media, Twitter, et cetera, just for, just for fun. Uh, and the first question was, if you could describe yourself in one word, what would it be? And in retrospect, I realized this is kind of a mean question for a type seven who, who very much values all of the options. Uh, so to ask them to choose just one word to describe themselves is kind of ridiculous. Um, but the answers were totally great. Uh, most were unable to commit to one word and gave a bunch of words. And I just loved seeing how, how sevens view themselves. I think it was really telling. And the next question was just a, a silly question based on my own curiosity. And the, the question was, are you vegetarian? So my, my uneducated theory was that likely the vast majority of sevens were definitely not vegetarian because limiting the menu like that would be totally maddening. 
Um, so my little sample set confirmed that to be true. Uh, there were some anomalies, of course. Uh, and actually what was, what was my favorite part about that question was that several people, probably a dozen or so, said that they had tried it. <laughs> of course they did. And I, I totally loved, loved that response to that question. And then I asked Enneagram Type 7s on Twitter, uh, I said that you have the superpower of putting a light on nearly everything, but what is the source of heartache in your life and how do you process it? And I was absolutely blown away by the responses, uh, how extremely vulnerable nearly every response was, was, was really incredible and was entirely opposite of much of what I was reading about type sevens. Uh, and even as I mentioned the ability to build colorful walls, uh, I was honestly shocked at how incredibly thoughtful and real the answers were. And I could be wrong, but my interpretation of the response was, was that maybe, maybe type sevens just aren't being asked how they're really doing uh, very often. And Maybe that question just gives them permission to, to, to be honest and vulnerable and, and sincere. So if a seven is this constant source of joy and light in people's lives and, and positivity is kind of their brand, so to speak, uh, most of the people around them probably just don't think about asking how they're really doing on occasion. So I, w I was just really blown away by the, the answers to that question. The seven's feedback was, was so insightful and uh, validating to the handful of lyrics that I had already written, but also just really helpful in my overall understanding of the type and how this, this story should be told. But one response in particular really stood out to me. Uh, it was kind of the opposite end of that. It was from someone who was a bit frustrated because they felt like my question was echoing a question that they kept hearing in, in Enneagram conversations. And that question is, how do you hurt? Uh, which wasn't my intent, but I totally understand where, where that person was coming from. She mentioned that for every other type, Enneagram folks are constantly asking how, uh, how the Enneagram can help them heal from their, their wounds. Uh, but for the seven, because of their their kind of silver lining attitude, uh, she felt like they were they were being asked constantly how to process their pain out loud, and uh, which translates to how how do you hurt? And, and I totally get that. It was actually really really helpful, and, and something that I was kind of uh, realizing in in talking to different sevens. Uh, and so it was really helpful to kind of hear the opposite end of that spectrum, which is like, no, this 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 song not only shouldn't be about how uh, sevens hurt and and how we can break their heart <laughs> but it should be it should celebrate the the aspects of the seven that are truly beautiful which is what i hope to do in of course each of these nine songs but um for seven in particular i wanted to be really really sensitive about pain and about their process of pain and just to talk about it well so um i was really really encouraged by the conversation that i had with this this one person in particular so if she happens to be listening thank you so much for your insight Insight. Truly, truly helpful. Uh, let's let's rewind back to the very, very opening lyric of the song. How nice it'd be if we could try everything. I'm serious. Let's make a list and just be. So that opening line about trying everything, uh, though I don't think sevens actually believe that they can try everything in their lifetime, um, I do think that sevens are real serious and intentional about trying. So, so I tried to acknowledge that in the song. First, they present the impossible. Then they remind whoever they're talking to or themselves that they really aren't kidding. They're serious. Uh, and then they get to work. Again, this is an aspect of what I completely adore about type sevens. 
But that word, everything, uh, though most of the times that word is kind of a throwaway word, and because it's overused, I think sometimes it loses some of the gravity of, of that word. Uh, but I feel like there's a there's a deep resonance or a deep connection between that word and type sevens. And I, I started seeing it everywhere. I started it just started appearing in everything I was looking at and reading in reference to the seven. Um, one notable place was I was reading my my friend Bob Goff's new book, Everybody Always, which side note is uh, such a seven title. And he was talking briefly about uh, his bucket list and says, "I don't have one. I want to do everything." Uh, and even in conversations with sevens and just everywhere that you learn about a seven, I, I think you'll find that word all over the place. And I, I think the reason for that is because it's it's the only word in the English language that even comes close to expressing the the depth and intensity that um, that type sevens feel. So I use that word everything in, of course, that opening line, and then again in the lyric, uh, when everything feels heavy, I've learned to travel light. And speaking of everything, when I was when I was thinking about sevens, and I, for some reason I, I was trying to imagine what is the most seven song ever written in the universe, and I I really think it's from the Lego Movie. Everything is awesome, and, and of course, case in point with that word, everything. And in case you want to argue that there may be another more seven song out there in existence, I would like to quote for you some of the lyrics for Everything Is Awesome. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome when you're living out a dream. Everything is better when we stick together. Some have said you and I are going to win forever. Let's party forever. <laughs> that's that's so great. I love that song. Um, that truly is the most seven song ever, and I think that this case is closed. So while I was writing this song, I, I actually watched several movies that I thought kind of had a, a seven feel. I asked uh, Chris and some other friends if they could pick out a movie that represented the seven, um, what would that be? So I watched several of those. Uh, most notably, I watched Peter Pan, who is often referenced as a seven. Uh, a comparison that I don't totally think is exactly right, but um, it has some faults, but that's all right. Uh, and what I think is the most seven of all characters that I can think of is Joy from Pixar's Inside Out. Uh, so I watched that movie a bunch as well as I was just trying to wrap my head around this type. And and gosh, I, I, if that isn't a story of Seven's redemption, I don't know what is. Also in the category of not very serious um, aspects of writing this song that I just had a lot of fun with. One idea that I really, really, really wanted to work into the song, for some reason, the, the words ship in a bottle, um, yeah, I just, for some reason, that image and the, how I think I had watched a little, a little mini documentary about the, the process of, of putting those little tiny ships into bottles. And, um, it just felt like a, like a, an idea I wanted to try out in the song, but I've tried it several times. And every time I say ship in a bottle, it sounds very much like a swear word. <laughs> so, so I let go of that one, but I wanted to at least tell you guys that I really wanted, I really wanted to have ship in a bottle be a part of this song. So um, for you sevens out there, just know that that felt important to me to include for some reason. No idea why. Um, also, when I was writing the lyrics for, for this song, um, I, I tried to do as many double rhymes as I possibly could. Uh, an example of what I'm talking about would be like in the lyric, I look to the future and book another flight. Uh, I, I use the word sinking and standing next to each other. So if you listen through, you can kind of hear some of these additional rhymes. Uh, it wasn't just the end of each lyric or end of each phrase that rhymes. I tried to try to include as many rhymes as possible, which usually I'm trying to pull apart rhymes because I feel like it's easy to get 
stuck in rhyming too much. Um, but for seven, it felt right to try to take as many opportunities to rhyme as I could. And for this song, uh, like I've mentioned in in writing the other Enneagram songs, I, I wrote a list of just words that feel somehow connected to the type. And uh, I mentioned uh, the word everything, but that was on the list. The word begin, the word danger, the word mountain, the word wonderful, and a bunch of others. So it was fun to kind of work through that list and figure out how they fit. So in the lyrics that I already discussed a little bit earlier in the podcast, um, so I look to the future and I book another flight. When everything feels heavy, I've learned to travel light. I already explained the the deeper meaning behind that and how it connects to the story, but um, the reason that I wanted to use some of the vocabulary of traveling is because almost every seven that I know uh, is is a is a well traveled person. They are, uh, if you text them, they're they're likely somewhere amazing, <laughs> and so I thought it'd be really fun to kind of uh, to kind of highlight that in a subtle way in the song. And I'm pretty much a homebody, but I do love the idea of of experiencing everything, and and I I really do actually love traveling too. Um, so, but this is a, this is another area of the Type Seven that I admire because they are they're up for anything, and I I want to be more that way. And so, uh, it was a kind of a reminder uh, in the song to me personally to to try to be up for more things and um, to try to be up for trying new things and experiencing new things, but to honor that aspect of the the seven that they travel and um, have a desire to experience so much. Oh, and I, I worked in some of uh, some extremely subtle nods to um, both the six wing of a seven and both the eight wing of a seven. Uh, the six wing is in the lyrics. Uh, what about danger? What about risk? So it's acknowledging uh, the, the scary aspects. I almost like the idea of the type six being the person that the type seven is talking to at that very beginning of the song. Or it could be understood that the uh, the type seven is having a conversation with their with their conscience or their uh, their inner voice. Uh, so that's how I, I very subtly nodded to the six wing. Then uh, the nod to the eight is more of a sonic thing. So the song uh, builds and builds in intensity. And at the very end, there's one point where my vocal kind of breaks up and is a little bit more distorted. And so I, I, I ended up leaving it that way instead of re-recording it so that it doesn't break up and distort. Um, so I, I kind of like that it was a little bit of a nod to the, the intensity of the type eight. So let's talk about the amazing folks that were kind enough to lend me their talents. These are these are my type seven friends that um, uh, a couple of them contributed to the song musically, and then uh, a bunch of them contributed sounds, uh, which I call fingerprints, into the song. So let's go ahead and detail each of those awesome contributions. The first guest is not only an incredible violinist, but she is a really great person. Emiko Bankson was kind enough to play all of the violins that you hear throughout the song. And I just absolutely love her playing. Uh, Emmy, her sister Kumiko Bankson, uh, who is also an incredibly talented violinist, um, we all met uh, a bunch of years ago when we were playing a show together. And uh, I was actually looking for string players, and they came highly recommended by a friend of mine. And we've stayed in close touch ever since. Uh, we've gotten to play a bunch of shows together. They've recorded on several songs of mine, and uh, we've toured together as well. And uh, so when I found out that Emmy identified as a type seven, I was elated. I, I, I couldn't get to writing seven fast enough. I was just so pumped to to get to work with her again. Um, so a, a massive thank you to Emmy for for adding what I consider to be the heart of this song through the strings. Um, I, she truly is one of my absolute favorite collaborators.
And what's kind of fun is the the first time that I met Emmy was at a show, as I mentioned, and we were playing opening up for uh, my next seven guest, John Foreman. Uh, John's been a friend for over a decade now and has just been a huge inspiration to me, uh, just his work ethic and who he is as a person and the songs that he writes. And he and his band Switchfoot uh, will forever hold a special place in in my heart and in the history of Sleeping at Last, as they uh, have been so incredibly supportive uh, of everything since... uh, since we met way, way, way long ago. Um, first, by by telling record labels about this this weird band of teenagers that opened up for them in like 2001 or something, and, and then when uh, my very first like major label record came out, Ghosts, they were kind enough to in, invite us along to tour for a while with them. So so John and the Switchfoot family have meant a great deal to me, and we've gotten to work together on a few things over the years. Uh, he was kind enough to sing on my song called Birthright, and then I had the privilege of producing and recording a, a few of his solo songs as well. So um, all the harmonies that you hear throughout this song are John, and I just love him a lot and um, can't thank him enough for lending me his voice on this song, um, but for also being someone that I, I really look up to. What about danger? So what? What about risk? So let's talk about fingerprints. And for those of you that don't know, fingerprints are what I call uh, these miscellaneous sound recordings that I ask my my friends and family for. Uh, I basically give them the instructions to record literally anything using their phone or whatever. And uh, then I take those little recordings and I weave them into the fabric of the Enneagram song that that represents them. So uh, it's a really, really fun part of this project for me. And it just means the world to me to get to have these, these audio representations of the folks that I love most in the world. So here are the wonderful fingerprint sounds that my my Type 7 pals sent over. So the first fingerprint is from one of my favorite people in the entire universe and has just he, he has meant so much to me in my life. Uh, and I talked a little bit about him earlier, uh, but this is Bob Goff. He was kind enough to uh, to strum some ukulele chords for me. So I, I pitched it to the tune of the song, and then I, I chopped it up to the rhythm, and, and so you can hear his ukulele in this moment of the song. How wonderful to see a smile on your face. The next sound is from my amazing friend Alexander Collins, who sent the sound of his dog howling and himself howling with his dog, which I thought is an awesome seven sound. <laughs> I love that sound. Uh, so the next sound is from a, a dear friend, a family friend, Elsie Larson, who was kind enough to send the sound of rain, which uh, was used under the lyric to love them through and through and through, which is sort of uh, this, this representation of like thirsty plants uh, receiving water. And the next sound is from my, my sweet friend, Heidi Berkey, who uh, sent the sound of her walking on a hike. And I place that sound underneath the lyric, let's climb this mountain before we cross that bridge. And my friend Day Erickson sent the incredibly appropriate seven sound of champagne being opened at a party. (laughs) And that was used under the lyric, welcome home parade. And the next sound I use under that same section, and it is from Kate of the incredibly talented duo Jill and Kate. And she sent the sound of airplane applause. So uh, I guess when they landed, um, the entire plane burst out in applause. (laughs) Must have been a rough flight. 
Again, right in that same section where I talk about Koss farewell tears for the Welcome Home Parade is a sound from my friend Laura Waters Hinson, who is an insanely talented director and happened to direct the, the film Many Beautiful Things, which I had the privilege of scoring the original soundtrack for. Um, so this is the, the wonderful and contagious sound of Laura's laughter. <laughs> It's impossible to not smile or laugh after hearing that. Um, So the next sound is more laughter from my friend Annie Downs. And uh, so I used it in the same section as Laura's laughter. So I kind of created a stereo laughter track um, on the same section, uh, the welcome home parade moment, which feels celebratory and uh, just felt like the right place for these these really wonderful seven sounds. That's so good. Okay, so uh, the next sound is from my friend Rita Wilson, who was uh, sweet enough to send me the sound of this babbling brook, this uh, this beautiful water sound. Oh, I love that sound. Uh, so I used it underneath this moment of the song. I feel hope deep in my bones. Tomorrow will be and the next sound is from one of the funniest people I know and just a, a really great dude. His name's Trip Crosby. <laughs> and he sent the sound of a different kind of water. Um, this is called shower peeing, which I can only assume is the, the sound of him peeing while taking a shower. <laughs> so, so apparently that's what that sounds like. Um, the next sound is from my amazing friend, Richard Goff, who is also one of the funniest people I know. Um, and I love this. It's such a perfect seven sound. Uh, but he sent the sound of balloons hitting the ceiling. That's one also balloons being inflated. Awesome sounds, Richard. Uh, and as I pointed out to Richard, I had no idea that recording the sound of inflating a balloon also sounds a whole lot like a, a, a very large jet flying overhead. Awesome. And then uh, I placed right under the lyrics uh, to watch the ones that I love bloom, uh, a sound from my friend Eric Schlickman, who uh, sent the sounds of his kids playing, which is, uh, again, such a great seven sound. The next sound is from my brother-in-law, Sam Belson, and he sent the sound of Dr. Pepper being opened. And so I placed that right under the lyrics, I'm ready, because it sounds like you're ready to chug a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and the next fingerprint sound is from my new friend, Paul Hinton. And uh, uh, Paul recently designed a game called Build a Cure. It's a card game. This is the sound of those playing cards being shuffled. And I place that under the lyric, Secret Handshake. Uh, the next sound is from my friend Chris Morgan, who is an ecologist, a bear specialist, author, filmmaker, TV host. He's kind of an all-around amazing dude. And uh, this is the sound of bears snoring, <laughs> which is super cool. Uh, and my dear friend Gabe Lyons sent me this really, really great sound. And that's the sound of this little instrument that we found uh, at a store. We were recently on a trip together, and uh, so it felt like the right time to record his fingerprint. And last and certainly not least is my friend Skip Matheny, who uh, sent this sound. 
So a huge thank you to all of my Enneagram Type 7 friends for, for sending me these incredible sounds. They are some of my absolute favorite fingerprints. So let's welcome back Chris Hewitt, who's going to give us some final thoughts on the Type 7, some affirmations for them, some, uh, some thoughts for folks in relationship with Type 7s, and, uh, and more. So here's Chris. All right. So I do a lot of one-on-one work with folks related to their Enneagram type. And a lot of that is, is actually around the, the, the basic fears of the types. And it's so funny because sevens, um, they'll, they'll, they'll want to jump in and, and, and do the personal work sessions and they'll jump in and they'll want to do the overview sessions. But man, when it gets to, to the fear session, right? And when we look at the nine ways that we lie to ourselves about this basic fear and the nine ways that each of the Enneagram types basic fears are malformed, Man, a sevens never want to schedule that call. They actually really don't want to go there. And so the advice, you know, I, I'll make this really simple. If you're dominant in type seven and you want to do your inner work, then face your fear, right? Press into it. Because the, the, the fear of being trapped in pain isn't the same as having a fear of facing your pain. It's just that you're afraid that it's going to be too much, that it's going to be overwhelming. And, and, and so don't give in to that, right? This is why sevens actually make incredible humanitarians. This is why sevens actually make incredible therapists and, and counselors. It's because you can get close to pain. You're, you're not afraid of pain. You can get close to pain. And because you're in your head type and you're such a fast thinker and, and, and you're really quick and you can really come up with incredible solutions as a therapist, as a humanitarian, you're great. But you can also offer yourself that. And, and, and so don't be afraid to go there. Some more of the advice that I give sevens is, is stay youthful, stay curious, because that is where, in, in many instances, you're, you're, you're most alive. And that's going to keep the rest of us honest, right? I, I love the work that I, I do on university campuses because, man, young, young folks still are idealists. They, they still believe that that change is possible. They still have not let go of hope. But the older some of us get and, and the crustier and the doughier and, and the slower we are, those are the, the easy things to let go of. And so if you're a seven, stay youthful, stay curious. And, and in doing that, you will keep the rest of us honest. If you're seven, don't give up on optimism and don't let people try to take it from you. Don't give up on, on, the, on the possibilities that that freedom could, could actually be realized for everyone because that's what's going to keep us moving and that's what's going to keep the world beautiful and, and I think safe for those who, who really are in unsafe, vulnerable positions. And, and then finally, if, if you're seven, stay free. Don't let society, don't let your, your partner, don't let, if you're in a religious community, don't let all of the sort of lassoings of external expectations or of, or of socialized or socialization sort of diminishments that ding away at what makes you beautiful. Don't give that power and don't give your power away. Stay free. And in staying free, you will keep us free, right? In staying free, you will keep the world free and, and remind us of that. Remind us that, that, that really freedom is, is a value, that it's not the luxury of the few, but it is the right of all. Generally, I would um, sort of stack up a, a bunch of personal affirmations, um, which I, I actually think could become sort of mantras for, for the nine types. 
And uh, I, I think I just want to suggest one for the sevens. I'll, I'll keep this real simple and, and real straightforward. I, I think your your personal affirmation over and over simply has to be, I have enough. I have enough. I, I have enough love. I have enough experience. I have enough freedom. I, I have enough opportunity. And, and in receiving the gift of enoughness, learn how to live from that. Learn what to do with what it is that you already have because it is enough and you don't need more. Of all the, of all the types, I, I think sometimes sevens are maybe the most misunderstood. And, and partly this is because um, type one, type four, and type sevens are, are frustrated idealists. Earlier, we were, were talking about how you know, the seven experienced a, a frustration wound, let's say, with their nurturing caregiver. And that frustration was, you have more love to give me and I'm not sure why you're not giving it all. Well, well, that idealism was, there was more, there is more. And that idealism for the seven is, is, is really also around their notions of freedom, right? So when we come to sevens on the Enneagram, as frustrated idealists, along with the ones and the fours, there's a profound sense of, of being misunderstood here. And one of those, I, I think, real frustrations for the seven is, is that they, they sometimes feel like they're not being taken seriously, right? You can can be so fun. You can be really lighthearted and you can bring such levity, especially when the, the stakes get high, when, when, when tension is, is escalating. And, and because you naturally bring that gift and it, and it really becomes part of your fluency, then, then unfortunately, when, when, when there is a real significant or important conversation going on or when big decisions need to be made, um, some folks don't take you seriously. And, and, and so I just say this, if, if you're working with a seven, if there's a seven in your life that you love, learn to take them seriously, right? They're, they're not checking out. Um, when they look bored, it's probably because they are bored. They, they, they think faster than all of us. They've already figured out options and opportunities. And, and so engage them in a way that they'll stay in the conversation and, and take them seriously. Another way that, that sevens are misunderstood is, is they're, they're often sort of cliched or, or judged or sort of pushed to the side as folks who lack the ability to follow through with the things that they start. And, and this really bums me up for sevens because I actually don't think sevens are bad with follow through. I actually think sevens are good with keeping freedoms and options open. And, and, and I'll say this, if I, if I don't say this a hundred times when we talk about sevens, whenever freedoms are diminished, part of them feels like they're dying. And, and so it's not that they don't want to follow through with what they start. It's that they want to keep those good things going as long as possible so that people can be included and so that life can come from them. And, and so don't put this on them. Don't be a little judgy or critical or fussy about this, but but try to see what's behind it and what's underneath it. And then finally, I man, I think sevens, they look, they do want to go deep. And this is, it's a frustration, actually. I, I think certainly this is a misunderstanding, but but this I think is, is a true frustration for a lot of sevens. They want to go deep. Now, look, Sevens are good at dismissing their own depth, and especially as it starts to touch on their sorrows, um, because this is part of their, uh, it's, it's a tactic, it's a defensive mechanism, it's, it's a way that they don't go inward and look inward, but when they trust you, when they choose you, when they love you, when they feel like you're going to take them seriously and see them, 
then you'll be blown away at the depth that's there. And, 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 and you, you may not even realize how much depth is in your own heart until you've explored the depth of the heart of the seven. But they have to know that it's safe. And they have to know that it's safe first and for themselves, with themselves, and then in friendships and relationships and partnerships. Once that, that safety is there, um, look out, you, you, you will not believe what's, what's, what's going on in, in the minds and the hearts of, of sevens. And, and this is, 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 has a real natural hinge, let's say. This has a real natural connection to the fundamental relationship need for sevens, which is stability or security. They want to have that. They want to know that it's going to be okay. They want to know that you're going to stay with them and, and, and stick it out with them. And, and so don't give up on them. Now, this is, this is hard to sometimes frame, and, and, I, and I generally don't sort of put this out there because I don't want to let sevens off the hook in making commitments. And that's sometimes one of the stressors here for sevens is making commitments. But this stability and this security for sevens is, is really a thought through choice. And so I see this sometimes, like I, I, I see a lot of young sevens who are, are faced with the, the, the possibility and the opportunity of marriage and, 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 and they may love the person they're dating. They may absolutely be head over heels and, and adore the person that they're engaged to. But even that wedding ring, I think is a symbol of of, of, of loss in some ways. And, and so, you know, I've, I've often tried to, to talk through um, this with, with young couples, and, and especially if one of them is a seven, that with or without the ring, with or and without the engagement, with or without the, the marriage, what is stability, what is security, and, and what does a true commitment look like? And, and you'd be stunned because when a seven starts to talk about commitment and those commitments that they've made, they don't need the external sort of scaffolding around it they actually give their hearts to it, and it's it's remarkable. Now, one other way I think that the sevens are sometimes misunderstood, and this is, is really out of the harmonic groups of the Enneagram, and that's sometimes called the conflict avoidance styles, is that they bring this positive outlook or this natural ability to reframe every negative situation as a way of de-escalating things when when, 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 when the stakes get high, when, when, when conflict looks like it's, it's an inevitability. And again, I think the sevens get misunderstood because this, this ability to reframe and, and to bring the positive forward is sometimes dismissed or diminished or, or, or we, we sort of judge it as, as if these folks are, are simply being misleading or exaggerating or not actually looking at things with reality. But no, this is one of their gifts and this is one of the lenses that they actually can help sort of put over our eyes so that we can see the world in a little bit of a, a, a brighter light, which is to find what we have in common, to find the positive starting points and, and to find the upside to every situation as really a way of uh, finding our way back to love, as, as finding opportunities to grow, and really as, as a way of de-escalating and, and, and taking the power away of, of the kind of negative energy that derails a lot of our, our friendships and relationships. When sevens really do want to press in to their inner work and, and when sevens really want to, to, to concentrate and focus on, 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 on ways to grow, then, then, then let me suggest a few. And, and first I would say, find ways to connect your desire to go deep with abilities to get there rather than 
being derailed over and over again with your avoidance techniques, or rather than keeping things on the surface, align your desire for depth with people that you trust who can help you get there. Uh, align your desire for depth with your commitments to go deep personally and, and face whatever it is, the good and the bad that, that you'll find inside. And, and, and man, the seven who presses into their own depth becomes really the, 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 the great luminary of the Enneagram. Sevens who, who want to grow, I, I, I do think that um, working with your ideas and notions around commitments, which, you know, typically can be a stressor for a seven, is also a, a way of growing for sevens. And, and look, we, we, we misunderstand what we mean by stress half the time because, you know, in the Enneagram, you, you have these crisscrossing lines in the circle and one of them is called your heart point. And so we sometimes say that we reach to our heart point when we're centered, when we're well, when we're grounded, and, and we can borrow the positive traits of that type. But then we sometimes look at the other one as, and, and this is called the stress point, as where we go when we're unhealthy. And, and I think this is a huge misunderstanding in the Enneagram because stressing your muscles is actually how you exercise it. Stressing your muscles are actually how you, you, you grow them, how you develop them. And, and so the very things that bring you, if you're a dominant type seven stress, are actually the very things that are going to open you up to growth. And, and, and if you feel stressed out by commitments, then it's actually commitments that's going to lead you to freedom. And so work with your ideas and your notions around commitments. Now, the way for sevens to grow is, is, is really simply to practice presence, to being in the moment, to being here now, to, to savoring what is in front of you, what is enough, without being preoccupied with what's next. And if, and if you can learn to practice the presence as a seven, man, this is, is, is really where every cup of hot coffee, every sunrise, every instance will be miraculous, will be beautiful, will lead to your ongoing restoration and, and inner, inner redemption. For sevens to grow, you have to find your heart and you have to find your own heart sort of reach and, and, and sort of borrow the emotional intelligence and energy of, of, of someone in your life. But to find your own heart is, is going to be where you find love, that you've always been loved, that you have always been a source of love, and, and that you will always be aligned in love. And that is this holy plan to, to give yourself away. And that's the gift of, of what I think the seven can be when they find their heart. So beautifully said. Thank you so much, Chris. And that's what I was trying to get across in, in these lyrics, which I, I consider sort of the, the heart of this song. But I want to be here, truly be here, to watch the ones that I Too. 
Those words, I want to be here, truly be here, that, that made a lot of sense to me, not only from the perspective of a seven choosing to press into their inner work, as Chris says, uh, but in my own life, that, that desire to, to be here exactly where I am, uh, that's really powerful. And so I wrote that as a reminder to myself to, to always choose to truly be here. So now that you guys have kind of heard the the birth story of the song and uh, and we've gotten well versed in Enneagram Type Seven through Chris, uh, we're going to go ahead and listen to the song in its entirety. Uh, but before we do, Chris is going to give us one more bit of affirmation for uh, for those of you that happen to be a Type Seven, and then we'll go straight into the song. I know that it it must be exhausting for you to always have to be the one who's who, who's making things okay. Be the one who's who's always bringing the, the the positivity and the resiliency into into tough scenarios, and, and so you get a rest. And and for sevens, that rest, it, 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 you have to let yourself rest. You you can't feel bad in in taking this gift and and receiving this gift. But specifically, I tell sevens that they have to rest in silence. And you see, it's silence that triggers this most accessible emotion of the head types. For sevens, it's silence that triggers their anxiety. It's it's silence that triggers this frustration of, am I stuck in this moment? Am I going to have to actually press into my own sorrow? But when you rest in silence, suddenly this this clarity will will blossom forward. And it's in resting in silence that you will know who you really are. This is really your way home. This is really the way actually to your heart is resting in silence. And so rest in silence. You deserve it. You've earned it. And rest in silence because it's in silence where you're going to hear the truth of who you are, that, that you are loved, and that your gift of, of, of bringing freedom into the world is how you show us what love looks like. How nice it'd be if we could try everything I'm serious, let's make a list and just begin What about danger? So what, what about risk? Let's climb this mountain before we cross that bridge Cause I'm restless, I'm restless
tell you another secret of a dream It feels like sinking when I'm standing in one place So I look to the future and I book another flight When everything feels heavy I've learned to travel light But I wanna be here Truly be here To watch the ones that I love And I wanna make room To love them through and through and through and through The slow and barren seasons too I feel hope deep in my bones Tomorrow will be beautiful Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, seriously, it blows my mind that you guys are curious about how these songs get made. If you happen to identify as an Enneagram Type 7, uh, I so, so, so hope that some part of you uh, is in the lyrics of this song or in the in the feeling of this song. Um, it truly was a, a, a great honor to to get to um, try to try to sing from your perspective, uh, which I feel is truly a beautiful one. And a massive thanks to Chris Hewitts again for uh, for lending us his time and his wisdom. Uh, please go ahead and pick up his book, The Sacred Enneagram. I think that it will mean a whole lot to you. Uh, and lastly, I wanted to tell you guys about a, a brand new cover song that I put out last week. Uh, I recorded it for the the wonderful folks at Grey's Anatomy. And so the song debuted on the, the season 15 premiere uh, just a little bit ago. Um, so hopefully you heard it if you are a Grey's fan. Um, but a huge thank you to them for, for not only giving me the opportunity to cover the song, which happens to be one of my all-time favorites, uh, but just for, for supporting the music that I make. It means a whole lot to be uh, to be thought of and to to get to be a part of that show so anyway the song is out everywhere that music is so uh i'll put a link in the in the show notes um but again it's called someone to watch over me Uh, truly a beautiful song written by the gershwin brothers so i'll i'll leave that playing for a little bit but um thank you so much again for listening i am i'm truly truly honored that you guys are, are curious about the the music that i'm making uh, huge love to you guys. I'm so looking forward to speaking real soon.
Follow 